to the Rogue Agronomist Podcast with Kyle from Stall Agronomy. You never know what I may say or who will be on, but you know it'll be real because that's me. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the podcast with Kyle from Stall Agronomy. And let's talk about one of the things that is driving investment in... I didn't say it's investment in agriculture. It's uh, it's kind of an investment in practices. And what what is that? It's ESGs. ESGs are environmental sustainability governance. It's it's this thing that's been kind of the top of news. Um, it's a very large, uh, broad topic that a lot of people kind of claim might be a little bit of a scam. Uh, some companies are really, really invested in this. Actually, most companies are really invested in ESGs. And how does that affect us in agriculture? How does it affect us in business? How does this affect us as far as, you know, how we deal with companies? So ESGs, if you don't know much about this, it's something that's kind of been, I guess, created by the United Nations. Uh, They they have these 17 goals uh, for sustainability and all these different things within developmental goals that they've created uh, for a, a better world. It's, it's part of the United Nations. And it, it's turned into a lot more than, I don't even know if it's it was originally intended to be the way it is, but what, what they are originally intended to, or at least the way that they've been purported to be, is that it's going to help us, you know, with the environment, right? This is supposed to be better for the environment. That, that's that's what we always hear. That's what we've been hearing. That's what everybody's really invested in in the last several years. And what what's changed, I guess, in how this is kind of viewed in, in the general public uh, has been more about how invested these companies are in having this ESG score. And there's a couple of companies that do these. Um, I think there's the one is MS or MCSI. Uh, there's a couple of different ones, but they come up with this rating system. So essentially they're, they're applying scores to how sustainable or whatever these companies are, which the general public and most people, we, we look at these as how they're cleaning up the environment. But that also includes like diversity, inclusion. Um, it includes a lot of different things when it comes to how these companies are, are, are working through this and being scored. And what is somewhat, um, I would say, I don't know if it's really upsetting to me, but what, what really kind of makes me get amped up a little bit about ESGs is is there they're purported to be, you know, if a company talks about their sustainability guidelines and how they're doing all these different things and how they're implementing and and, and going to, you know, fix the environment, they, they they brag about their ESG scores without saying their ESG score. They basically talk about all the things that they're doing. And and, and it, it makes companies look better on paper to their shareholders, uh, investors, they're they're scored, and a lot of investment companies, uh, banks, funds are holding money in reserve. Essentially, not reserve, but more they're they're 
not handing out the money unless you have ESGs as part of your or as part of your company. So publicly traded companies, you know, you have to do this ESG stuff. Uh, you have to, you know, basically spend money on sustainability. You have to spend money on all these different things and, and show that you're diverse and inclusive and all these other ESG type crap. I, you know, I'm not going to get too much into the, the verbiage. I, I don't know a ton about ESGs as far as, you know, how these companies are being pitched this, this whole thing. But what it does to them is these companies basically brag it up, they get an ESG score, and the only way that investment funds are going to spend money or you know loan them money or invest in their company is if they have good ESG scores. And it, it's turned into a really big deal. And honestly, I think in agriculture, we, we don't really hear much about ESG ratings or scores when it comes to the companies we deal with. Um, but what is interesting to me is how companies are using this. I mean, it's, it's big money. You got to realize that ESGs are big money. There are companies that hire people that all they do is essentially tell these companies what, you know, to spend their money on. You know, are we going to try to offset carbon? Are we going to invest in acres of no-till? What are we going to do with that? Uh, how do we get diversity inclusion? You know, there's, I'm looking at Nutrien's ESG, uh, ESG report from 2022, and they're talking about how they increased the number of women on their board. And, you know, that's, that's another big thing, but they, they talk about all these different things and how they're going to affect climate change. And, you know, obviously, for us growing up, you know, I'm an older millennial. So for me growing up, I remember companies putting scrubbers on. I remember when we stopped um, worry, you know, we didn't have to worry as much about acid rain. We learned about it, but we didn't have to worry about it as much because companies started to put sulfur scrubbers on so they didn't have to put sulfur in the air. And, you know, all these different things that we dealt with. And to me, that feels like a viable change that's going to help our environment and companies cleaning up their emissions and cleaning up emissions, not necessarily eliminating them. You know, to me, that's what I kind of look at as affecting climate change or not necessarily affecting climate change, but, but making the world cleaner, right? Um, we, we look at, you know, wastewater treatment and all these other things. And the big scam of all this is, you know, let's talk about wastewater treatment. So in our area, we have two or three municipalities that are overloading their river with phosphorus runoff because their um, waste management treatment facilities are not up to code or not necessarily up to code, but aren't up to what they should be. And they need a major upgrade to be able to be better at processing waste so that the phosphorus doesn't get into the water. They need to better to better clean up that water before it it's actually dumped back into the stream, the river, the lake, whatever it is. And instead of spending know, millions of dollars to fix their water treatment facility, they're paying farmers or trying to find farmers to pay to implement, you know, setbacks, um, you know, grass, waterways, strips, um, cover crops, no-till, all these things to reduce the phosphorus that's getting in the water. So what what happens with some of this stuff is, and in this instance, to me, what it what it looks like is 
farmers are the polluters and these are the ways that they're going to clean up their act. And what it really is, is the municipality is the polluter and the farmers are the ones that are getting blamed for it and they're the ones that you can fix it instead of the municipality saying we need to raise your taxes. So on paper, looks really good, looks good on elections. <laughs> And it looks good because the farmers are the bad people and they need to clean up their act. Look at those guys. They're putting manure on fields. And, and that's what bothers me with some of this stuff is that we are the ones that are looked at as we're the people that can help with this climate change thing. We can help with cleaning up the environment, which it's okay. You know, I, I understand um you know, if we can put more carbon in the soil, that's great. You know, for us, if we get more organic matter, Awesome. These are good things for us to have. Now, to be blamed for the the pollution and be looked at as you know the the thing that could fix all this because we're just so bad. That's what bothers me in agriculture, and that's where I don't like this stuff. Um, it, it seems like we are getting a bad rap because everybody else sucks. And the thing that I I guess that bothers me a little bit too is you know while we are encouraged to plant cover crops, which I think in some instances there's there's certain situations where cover crops do work. Um, there are some that they don't necessarily don't. Do we need to put cover crops on every single acre? I don't think it's feasible, um, but I do think that there is a there is a place for cover crops, and and that's entirely fine. Now, no till uh, some people can debate that till the cows come home. Literally. Um, you know, strip till is really good. I, I really do like strip till. I think it's kind of the best of both worlds. Um, I, I do realize, and I, I think most people will admit that every once in a while you do have to do some kind of tillage, uh, whether that's inline ripping, which is fairly minimal soil disturbance. We can do inline ripping, and if we're doing the right job and doing it well, uh, we, we really don't move much dirt other than what's below the surface and fracture it, lift it, and drop it back down. And, you know, you can come in and almost plant right into that. Sometimes you have to just do a really light tillage pass. And you don't want to do that every single year. Uh, like I said, there there's benefits to everything that we do. But what bothers me is when we get blamed for stuff. And then we're trying to fix it. And we're getting paid to fix it because we're just terrible people. And we won't do it unless they pay us. And we have to do this before the government tells us we're going to have to do it. And... That, that's the, the groups that talk about how we need to start doing this before the government tells us we have to. Um, and then they take a whole bunch of government money and hand it back out. And that that's, it's a whole big thing. I mean, we've, I've talked about this before where there are independent in quotes, agronomists that are getting paid by these municipalities to promote cover crops and getting paid to sign up acres and, they're not selling a product, but they're selling acres to municipalities essentially to, to get, I don't know, it makes them feel better and it's it's affecting ESGs and it's it's all this, you know, we're, we're doing all this for the environment. And instead of cleaning up their act, they're, they're putting it on the farmers to, to help them clean up their act, but then they get to blame the farmers because look at how bad the, the water quality is near the farms. Okay, off of that, let's uh, let's talk about some of those other ESG things that 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 are somewhat upsetting. And what what bothers me on top of this is, let's say you're a company and you get to brag about how many millions of acres or hundreds of thousands of acres you have signed up for 
ESG programs, so sustainability programs. We're, we're talking about, you know, you're paying people to plant cover crops. Your company is paying them for their carbon offsets, essentially, by implementing no-till on, on new acres, uh, implementing cover crops on acres that hadn't had cover crops before. Um, you're signing all these people up. You're paying them $20, $30 an acre, cover crop seed cost. I, I mean, they're... I was listening to something the other day where they're talking about, well, we pay 25, 30 bucks an acre. And a good cover crop mix is like 50 bucks an acre. And I'm like, holy balls, if you're paying $50 an acre for cover crop seed, it better be a hell of a blend. Um, well, one thing with cover crops is it doesn't have to be, we're not growing this crop to be, you know, we're not looking at the highest yielding stuff. We don't need it to produce is more than, organic matter, ground cover, residue, whatever we want to do with it, we're not trying to get paid for our cover crops, essentially, like we would with a normal crop. So we have to look at it as if it grows, if it's out there, that's it's better than anything. So we can have year off seed. We can have lower germination seed. You know, we can, we can use things that, you know, I have guys that I tell them every year, hey, you know, We've got this this uh, cover crops growing in this field. Uh, it's it's a, a single cover crop, um, you know, one species. Let's harvest it, and we'll save some of the seed, and then we'll actually plant, you know, instead of having 500 acres of cover crops, and we basically just till it under, or we plant green into it, whatever it is, we take five acres of that, we grow, you know, enough cover crop seed to plant the next year. And then we don't have to go out and buy cover crop seed. And it works great. We clean it. It's awesome. And that's that's the nice thing of some of this. But we we just, we run into a lot of these things where cover crops are kind of billed as they're going to fix everything. and And as... We do all these practices, you know, we're, we're supposedly, you know, we're reducing carbon and we're offsetting it by putting it back in the ground, which is great. I mean, it's a good thing. I realize that I am not bashing cover crops for increasing organic matter and putting carbon in the soil and, and some of the things they actually can do. Um, I am more kind of perturbed, and, and you should be too, by the fact that farmers are getting pennies on the dollar essentially for what these companies are using those offsets for. And it, it's not that, you know, they're, they're offsetting because they, you know, like when I was a kid, let's, let's talk about this and, you know, kind of piggybacking off of what I said before is when I was a kid, if you think somebody was mining carbon offsets, it was name brand company that has a factory and they're going to build a new one. And that new one's going to admit so many tons of carbon a year and Joe Farmer has enough carbon offsets that we can offset that and say it's it's essentially a zero net emissions gain, you know, whatever it is. That's how we, general public or people that are 30 years or older, feel that this is being billed as. You know, we're just offsetting it because they're building a new factory and it makes them feel good and, and this is a good thing. It, what actually is happening is they're buying your offsets so that they can claim the acres. They can claim the tons of carbon they're offsetting 
and, and put it on this ESG report. And this ESG report goes out to their investors and it's how they get money. It's how, how they promote their product and they can, they get all the benefits, right? They, they basically are the saviors. They, they are the Jesus of industry. Essentially they are, they are the ones that are just like, look at me. I am saving the world. And the farmers that are getting paid for this cover crops, no-till, whatever practices they are, are getting paid $25, $30 an acre. These guys are seeing the benefit above it and beyond that. And we are looked at as the polluters that are fixing the thing. And this company is essentially the ones that are just making us see the light. And that's how it is perceived in the public. And that's what bothers me. Is what should bother you is that we are looked at as the people that need to clean up our act. This company is is the Messiah that is going to just make us see the light of cleaning up our act and look at how good they are, and they get to put it on this ESG report. And you as a farmer, let's say you have a cover crop failure, and your your cover crop makes your crop fail, or you 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 try no-till and you had heavy compaction the year before and you are unable to fix your compaction. I mean, obviously there's some benefits in here and there, there, there are ways to not affect your uh, carbon that you're selling by doing some tillage. They, I mean, they have that figured in and it's, it works. And I'm not saying that that would never happen or would ever happen where you can't do some tillage if you need to. But let's just say that you have a crop loss. And, you know, what are we gaining uh, publicly from this cover crop stuff? And what are we gaining from doing no-till and all these other practices of sustainability they want us to do? What are we gaining in perception of, of the ag community? Uh, not much. You know, you as a farmer, you as someone working in the industry like me, we, we get nothing by, you know, we don't get credit for the cover crops and all this other stuff, unless you're one of the people that gets paid to talk about how you're, you're a cover crop guru. Um, we, we don't get much, much from the public. It really doesn't look at, you know, they're not looking at farmers as you guys are saving the world unless you're 20 acres and you're, you know, the American Gothic vision of a farmer, uh, us on a larger scale, we're, we're looked at as the polluters that need to clean up our act. And that's what bothers me a little bit with this whole thing is it's just ESGs are kind of looked at as, you know, these companies are, are, are just miracle workers by, by making us figure out that we're just bad people. And yes, you might have a different opinion about things. You might want to talk about the inclusive or inclusion thing and the equity and yada, yada. I don't get into political stuff. I don't want to even talk about that. That stuff doesn't bother me. If companies want to do that, that's their prerogative. But th this whole thing where we're somewhat villainizing farmers to, to make our companies look better, that should bother you. Um, and honestly, I can tell you right now that pretty much every company you deal with, you know, I, I haven't looked this up, but I can guarantee you Bayer's got one. You know, Corteva's probably got one. Um, Syngenta, I'm sure, has one. Anybody who's public trade. Nutrien's got one. There's all these different companies you deal with. Why don't co-ops have them? Because they don't have to, you know, I can't go out and buy a share of FS right now. I have to actually buy stuff and it's a co-op. So they don't care. They do care, 
but they don't care about their ESG score like these other companies will. And the only reason they care is because they're basically, they have to do it because if they don't, companies won't give them money and they won't invest in them and they won't put them in their funds. And it, it's, it's some, it's kind of a whole huge deal. It, it's just, I'm surprised how big this is and how big the rabbit hole or how deep this rabbit hole kind of goes when you start looking into it. It's like, holy crap, this is a huge deal. Now, Let's talk a little bit before we end. We'll, we'll just talk a little bit about um, some of the EQIP programs, uh, NRCS stuff that, that happened in Wisconsin, at least. I don't know about the rest of the Midwest. But we're just going to talk about what happened here. When Nutrient Management Plan started in probably 07 or 08, um, really gaining a lot of traction. Uh, it could be like 05 too, but I remember when uh, NMPs were just a huge thing here. And they were paying people essentially to write a nutrient management plan. You got $20 an acre, maybe it was $5 a year, whatever it was per acre. You got that money to create a nutrient management plan. I had a lot of guys that signed up for that. We wrote the plan. We did the soil sampling. It was good for us. The farmers got the soil sample results, which is a good thing because they needed them. Um, they had to do a nutrient management plan and pay for the updates every four years, but essentially they were money ahead, right? They, they basically got paid more money or amount or about the same amount of money as what they would have if they went out and bought it themselves. So essentially it was free soil testing and free updates on the nutrient management plan. Flash forward to when they go back four years later and they're like, Hey, you know, I want to sign up for that program again so I can get my soil sampling done and, and do my nutrient management plan. And, NRCS looked at them and said, hey, you know, you already signed up for it. You're in the program. That's it. You know, you got four years of $5 an acre. Um, so you got your 20 bucks. And what do you want us to do? Now you got to go out and do it yourself. That's the whole point is we want to get you started on this. And most, not all, but most of these farmers said, I'm not doing that. Well, you gave me money. Why would I, you know, why am I going to do a nutrient management plan? You know, most of them still had us do soil sampling, and some of them said, hey, I'm not doing that nutrient management plan. They're not paying me to do it anymore. And Wisconsin went to some of these farmland preservation areas. We get a tax credit. The, the landowner gets a tax credit, which pissed off the farmers because, you know, let's say Joe Blow rents 2,000 acres in, in southern Wisconsin, and they have 20 different landowners, and they own 400 of acres of all this but the rest is to the landowners those guys got the credit all they had, and they were the ones basically being pointed to to say hey i get this letter and it says you don't have a nutrient management plan you have to have a nutrient management plan i want it as part of your rent give me a nutrient management plan and then the farmer's like why well, uh, you know what am i supposed to do you know i don't get any money from this i only get it on the 500 acres i have you should pay for it and it, it kind of turned into, yeah, farmers are bad people if they don't have a nutrient management plan. It's the same thing with this ESG stuff. And the problem is, you know, when the money dries up, let's say there's a company out there giving you $30 an acre for cover crop seed. And four years from now, they're like, hey, you know, we gave you $20 an acre for cover crop seed for four years. You should have seen the light by now that this is fixing everything on your farm. It, it's amazing. It's the best thing ever. And you're like, why? Well, you know, I only did it for the, the $20 an acre. Why would I, you know, if I'm not getting 30 bucks, I'm not buying the cover crop seed because that's bull crap. I'm not, I'm not going to go out and buy this stuff because it's, it's an added expense that I don't necessarily think is, you know, adding that much to my bottom line that it's worth this much money. 
Yes, I know. Some people are going to be like, oh, cover crops are amazing. That's fine. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying there are going to be those segment of the population that's going to be like this and not want to do it without getting paid the money. Well, then this company is going to go, wow, we're not paying you. And then the next year, they'll find somebody else to do it. They're going to find somebody else to do it. And then after like 10 years, they're going to end up coming up with some other program that you know we have to do also. And does it advance cover crops? Yeah, maybe it added more acres. But my my argument, and we'll end here real quick, my argument is that what happens is you basically get 100% buy-in from the people that are like, you know, when cover crops started really being popular, the people that are going to plant them that think it's the best thing ever, you got those people. They're done. They're already in. They're invested. They're doing it. They're, they're going to tell all their neighbors about how great they are because they plant cover crops. It's fine. Whatever. It's just a joke. But anyway, they, they're going to tell everybody that, you know, cover crops are the best. You got those people. They're 100% bought in. They're in it. You have the people that are slightly on the fence. Those people are going to still experiment with it. They might be friends with the other guys. They're, they're always going to do some acres, but they're not going to do every single acre. And then you have the next segment. They're going to be like, you know, unless there's money in it, I'm not doing it. And then you're going to have the last people that are going to be like, there's no freaking way I'm ever going to do that stuff. Don't ever pull into my driveway and watch out for the wrench when you, you, you're leaving pretty much because I'm going to start throwing stuff at you if you don't get the hell out of here. And I think that happens with every one of these things. You're going to, you're basically, we are 100% bought in on cover crops to the people that are going to be 100% bought in. The rest of this stuff, in four years, the money washes up, the government's no longer interested, you're not getting any clout for it, those people are gone. Poof, no more. So you're all you're going to be doing is fixing some of those people. We saw this with no-till. I've seen this with the NMP thing. I've seen this with other programs where essentially when the, the money starts going poof to them, they go poof too. So anyway, the thing I don't like about ESGs is it kind of vilifies farmers. And it's the same thing with a lot of these other things that we deal with. When we're vilifying farmers and we're the bad people and these are the people that are they're basically the pariah that's going to fix everything and we're just going to have to see the light and they're the ones who have shown us that bothers me and it should bother you if you're a farmer also i mean if we're getting credit directly we'll be able to sell our, our carbon offsets ourselves and and sh- and say that we are sustainable and we're doing all these things great if we can do that i think that's the way to go I don't see that happening and I just don't see it because we're too small and these people are putting it all collectively together and that's why we have issues. So hopefully I didn't sound like a total moron. I don't know everything thing there is to know about ESGs. I don't sell ESGs. I don't talk about ESG. I don't professionally work with this stuff. If you know more than I do, let me know. But I think this is a really important thing to, to focus on if you're a farmer, if you're in the, the industry is making sure that while we are participating in these programs, we need to make sure that there's some kind of message that shows, I, Joe Farmer, I'm the one who's doing this. They're giving me the money for it, but I'm the one who is fixing the environment. And it's not because it was broken to begin with. It's because I'm helping fix what they're doing. So anyway, hope you guys enjoy and I'll catch you next time. Thank you for listening to the Rogue Agronomist Podcast. Be sure to check out our website, stallagronomy.com, and our other social media for more information and other episodes.